of chapter 9. Grab your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 9. Today we conclude our sermon series called Anxious. Last week we were in the book of Genesis taking a look at the life of Jacob. But for the most part we have been in the gospel of Luke throughout this sermon series called Anxious. A lot of Luke's gospel is arranged topically. And so you'll see that, that theme throughout this year as we're going to take a look at Luke's gospel primarily in our sermon series uh, this year. But today we conclude our sermon series on anxious. We're going to begin reading verse 37. Uh, if you don't have, you know what, I gave away my bulletin. Oh well. Uh, there is a pew Bible in front of you. Page 67, 867. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you, sir. I appreciate that. There you go. Page 867, thank you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab your pew Bible. And once again, if you look on your cell phone, I trust you're looking at the verses. Not checking the temperature. It's cold. That's what it is. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, verse 37. Hear God's word this morning. We're going to read through verse 45. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. And behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. And I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. And Jesus answered, O oh, faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to put up? How long am I to be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. But Jesus rebuked the unclean, unclean spirit and healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered in the hands of men. But they did not understand the saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you right now, Lord, to, to pray what has historically and liturgically been called a, a prayer of illumination. We ask that your Holy Spirit would shine in our minds and shine in our hearts so that we might understand your word clearly, that we would see Jesus clearly in this passage and that you would apply it to our hearts and our lives and our relationship with you this day. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Nine seconds. That's not how long this sermon is, sorry, but... Nine seconds is the attention span of a goldfish. So you can imagine as a goldfish lives in a goldfish bowl, it lives a very exciting existence because as it sees that ship shipwrecked in its bowl, it says, wow, a ship that's wrecked. But as it begins to make its way around the bowl, it forgets that there's a ship there. 
And by the time nine seconds expires, it gets back around and says, wow, a shipwreck. Amazing. Eight seconds. Eight seconds is now the average attention span of a human being in the United States of America. So I regret to inform you that now our attention span is less than a goldfish, which all the elders and deacons will say, more proof why you should preach shorter sermons, Pastor Tanner. Elephants have great memories. Everyone, you've heard the saying, you need to have the memory of an elephant. And so I researched a little bit this week about how good of a memory elephants have. Apparently, elephants can remember the scent and the sight and the look of 30 different companions. And as an elephant strays from a water hole, it can actually travel back tens of miles with its companions to find that water hole. Well, why do I bring up goldfish, elephants, attention spans, and memories? Well, you may have noticed that we're still crawling through the Gospel of Luke. As I take a look at this passage today, I want, you to be, I want to be honest with you that I struggle with this passage this week because as I take a look at the passage, even though I've got a very bad memory and I've, I'm much slower to learn these days than I used to be, I looked at this passage and I thought, Lord, is there anything new in here that we haven't already seen in Luke's gospel? We've seen Jesus performed miracles and people be healed. We've seen demons be exercised. And we've seen Jesus predict his suffering. So I thought to myself, Lord, is there anything in this passage that applies to us today? And I think it's this. And as we're in the midst of this sermon series on anxiety and being anxious, it's this. I don't know about for you, but for me, I get anxious sometimes because of where I am with Jesus. I get anxious because of where I am in my relationship with Jesus for this reason. I would have thought at 43 years of age, soon to become 44 years of age, that I would be much closer to Jesus than I am now, much further along in my relationship with him. And so what I see in this passage as I see myself in the disciples. How about you? I see myself in the disciples because we notice two things about the disciples. Number one, they are very slow to learn, but they are very quick to forget. The disciples are very slow to learn, and they're very quick to forget. They're slow to learn about Jesus' power, his ability to heal people. They're very slow to learn what Jesus' ultimate mission and plan is and purpose is in coming to this earth. And they're quick to forget his faithfulness. They're quick to forget how he's already worked powerfully in their midst and even through them. And so how do we see the disciples are slow to learn and quick to forget? Well, if you take a look at the context of this passage, we see here in verse 37, it says, On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Well, what was the mountain? Where was the mountain? Who was with Jesus? You remember that 
in verses 28 through 36, Jesus and his disciples were on the mountain that was been called the Mountain of Transfiguration. Well, Peter, James, and John were with Jesus. The other nine were down at the bottom of the mountain. And do you remember what happened on that Mountain of Transfiguration? Peter, James, and John were allowed to see God and Jesus in all of his divine glory. The veil was lifted of sorts and they were able to see the divinity of Christ. And then they heard the voice of God speak to them. In verses 34 and 35, and it says, As he was saying these things, a cloud came, overshadowed them. A picture of the Shekinah glory cloud of God, his presence there. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. In verse 35, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my chosen one. Listen to him. So the context of this passage is Peter, James, and John have just come off the mountain of transfiguration with Jesus. They know Jesus' identity, that he is the son of God. He is God. It's within that context that a father meets them along with a great crowd. In verse 38, he says, Behold, a man from the crowd cried out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son. In other words, he says, I beg you, have compassion and mercy upon him, for he is my only child. And it says in verse 39, Behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth and shatters him and will hardly leave him. In other words, the the picture here is of an epileptic seizure of sorts. That There's no doubt that there's a demon in this young boy. And the demon is manifesting itself in that disease of epilepsy. And it says in much more full picture in Mark's gospel that sometimes this demon causes the, the young boy to throw himself into the water or throw himself in the fire. No doubt that the young boy had been scarred and maimed in several ways and had scars on his body. Pictures of how the demon had been tormenting him for years. And it's in this context that the father is begging and crying out to Jesus to heal him. And we find in verse 40 that the disciples had tried to exercise the demon, but they could not. And Jesus does something that, in my opinion, at, on first glance, looks very un-Jesus-like. <laughs> Look at how Jesus responds in verse 41. Jesus answered, you think it would say, no problem, I'll take care of the hard work here. But it says, Jesus answers, O faithless and twisted generation, how long am I to be with you and bear with you? In other words, Jesus says, I'm kind of tired of putting up with you now. That seems very un-Jesus-like, doesn't it? But you got to remember that Jesus is here probably near the end of three years of being with the disciples, preaching in Galilee, exercising demons, healing people. And we know that and come to verse 51 that says that when Jesus drew near to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That Jesus is setting his sights on the cross. And then Jesus pulls his disciples aside. And talks to them about his purpose. But before that, he said, it says here in verse 42. Pardon me, verse 41. He, Jesus says, bring your son here. And I want you to notice that it's more, more humorous in Mark's gospel than what's here. But I want you to notice what happens in verse 42. While the man is bringing his son, it says, while he was coming, the demon threw him to the ground and convulsed him. What happens in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter 9, is it recounts this passage. And it's kind of like a doctor going in to talk to someone is how Jesus appears. 
In this scene, in Luke's gospel, as, as the young boy is brought to Jesus, the, the demon throws this boy into a convulsion right there. And so Jesus actually, in Mark's gospel, has a conversation with the father that says, so how long has he been like this? And in Mark's gospel, you got the, the kid flapping around on the ground like he's a fish out of water. Jesus is all calm during the whole time, and he says, so how long has he been like this? But in Luke's gospel, in the original language, with the kind of the same language that we would use, that's just so common, matter of fact, no big deal, almost like you're talking about preparing a peanut butter sandwich for lunch today or putting it in your child's lunchbox tomorrow, and it, that lunchbox is in their book bag. It says in verse 42, Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. No big deal at all for Jesus. No hard work. And while everyone is continuously astonished and amazed at everything Jesus is doing, Jesus pulls his disciples aside in verse 44 and he says this. Let these words sink into your ears. In other words, pay attention. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. And here's the verse I'm trying to get to. Verse 45. But they did not understand the saying and it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask Jesus about the saying. A couple of things are happening here. Jesus is preventing them from understanding what he's saying about his suffering until after he resurrects and ascends. So there's, in God's providence, his divine sovereign hand is preventing them from understanding the truth. But I want you to notice the response. They are afraid to ask Jesus. Why? Why are the disciples anxious? Because they've been rebuked. <laughs> it's not clear in Luke's gospel why they were rebuked, perhaps, as clearly as it is in Mark's gospel, but the clues are there, the answer is there in verse 41 when he says, O faithless and twisted generation, in other words, you've lacked faith You've lacked belief in me. What's the, what's the point? As we conclude our sermon series on anxiety, what I want you to see in the scriptures is that for most of us, the reason why we struggle with anxiety is because we either have little faith in Jesus or we have misplaced trust. What do you mean, Tanner? Either we have very little in Jesus, little faith in Jesus that he is who he says he is, that he can do what he says he can do, or we have misplaced trust. We have put our faith and trust on someone, someone or something other than God. So the title of today's message is a question, are you afraid to ask? The truth is that the disciples are afraid to talk to Jesus about what happened, what it meant, and what he was doing. And the reason that they're afraid to talk to him is because they know their faith has been misplaced. They put their faith in themselves and their power rather than putting their faith in Jesus. I share an illustration with you that I shared with uh, the elders and deacons 
Thank you for allowing me to borrow your bulletin. Is this, what's, what's this paper made out of? Tree. Wood. I'm going to do some woodworking before you today. Some of you might find it rude or crude, but I just made a wooden table. Are you impressed? Technically, it is made out of wood because paper is made out of trees and trees are made out of wood. Some of you don't look very impressed. I do have it a little bit lopsided there, don't I? Let me fix my table. I'll quiz you the way I quizzed the elders and deacons the other night. Do you think... That table is strong enough to hold this piece of paper. You're right, it is. Do you think that, well, I probably shouldn't mess with the offering, the elders deacons get real nervous about that. Do you think that that table is strong enough to hold this Kleenex? Yes? Do you think that table is strong enough no. <laughs> How many are in agreement with Stephen? Let's see. No. So what's the matter? My table's not strong enough to handle everything that I can throw at it, is it? But interestingly enough, the pulpit, which is also made out of wood, because it's made out of a tree, wood that came from a tree, is strong enough, is big enough to withhold the pressure, the weight of this, these sermon notes, this Kleenex, this Psalter, my Bible, and even a lot of the weight of my hand. What's the point I'm trying to make? The reason many of us are anxious is because we are putting our faith in the wrong someone or something like this table. To use the theological language, the object of our faith isn't strong enough to, withhand, to withhandle our trust and our faith. For example, here's what happens with marriages. The reason that you grow to hate your spouse is because you have put your faith in your spouse that they are your Messiah. Well, guess what? They're like this table. They will fail you. They, they can't stand all the pressure, the weight that you will give them. Some of us, around election time, we put all of our faith and our trust in the object of our faith, which is our new presidential candidate, our, our president that we're going to elect. And guess what? They're like this, this table, this piece of paper. They can't withhold all the pressure and the weight that we place upon them. And so for some of us, the reason why we struggle with anxiety is because we put our faith and trust in the wrong object of our faith. We put it in other people. We put it in other things. I was very bitter last year when I found out bad things about my retirement plan in the ARP denomination. I found myself wrestling with my lack of faith in God because I'd put my faith and my trust in men and women that would oversee that retirement plan. I put my faith and trust really in money that was invested. And it was like this little table. It couldn't withstand the pressure. So Jesus comes to his disciples and he comes to me and you today and he says quit putting your faith in the wrong people or wrong things put your faith in me 
And when you put your faith in Jesus, the problem that we find is that not that the problem is the object of our faith. The object of our faith is more than capable and able to withstand the pressure of our weights and our concerns and our struggles and our fears and our frustrations. But the problem is the amount of faith we have in him. And if you read the Gospels, it doesn't take much. Because Jesus says, if you have faith in him the size of a mustard seed, he can move mountains. So I'm going to share with you what is my spiritual theme for this year. Lord, increase my faith in you. Because I find in my own life that when I get anxious, one of two things has happened. Either I've placed my trust in the wrong object of my faith, or even when I'm looking to Jesus, who is the true object of faith, I put very little in trust in him. And so in terms of applying this text to our, our lives today, I just want to make two brief points. The first one is this, that don't be afraid, as we think about don't being afraid to ask, don't be afraid to ask Jesus these two things. Don't be afraid to pray these two prayer requests. The first prayer request is this, Lord Jesus, help me to trust you. Lord Jesus, help me to trust you. As we look at verses 37 through 43, we see that the problem is that they are faithless. They're a generation of people that aren't trusting Jesus. In fact, we see in Mark's gospel that as the, the, the father of the only child comes to Jesus, he tells Jesus, if you can heal my son, heal him. And Jesus responds in Mark's gospel by saying, if I can? And then the father replies, Lord, help my unbelief. And I think that's the prayer for all of us, is that we pray this prayer today. Lord, help me, help me trust you. He's proven his ability, he's proven his power and ability to heal. Let's trust him. The very famous painting by Raphael, it's the painting of the Transfiguration. If you ever take a look at it, you can Google it today after the service You'll see this very stark contrast between the mountain of transfiguration, the glory above and the glory below. As the people below, the disciples are confused about what's happening with this epileptic son that's demon-possessed. So what does God require of you and what does he require of me today? Trust. Complete trust. It's easier said than done. As the children, the youth return from their spiritual retreat, I want to encourage you as parents and grandparents today that as they come down from this mountaintop experience, this mountain of transfiguration of sorts, of them seeing perhaps the glory of God in a way that they've never seen him, they get back to the, the daily grind of their own lives. I want to encourage you to encourage them to trust Jesus with their lives and their times, even in the mundane details of their life. And I want you to notice in verse 42 how easily Jesus heals the epileptic, demon-possessed young man. God can do the same for you and the same for me today. 
Some of you had situations, circumstances in your life that you feel like is beyond your control. And you need to pray today, Lord Jesus, help me trust you. Because he's bigger than all of them. The second prayer request I would encourage you to pray is, Lord Jesus, help me to understand you. In verses 43 through 45, we see Jesus revealing to his disciples, now for the second time in Luke's gospel, the fact that the the way for the Messiah, the way for the Son of Man, this great apocalyptic character that we see in Daniel chapter 7, is the way of suffering. And so as the disciples come off the mountain of transfiguration, they are discouraged because they have these messianic expectations that when the Messiah comes to town, he's going to overthrow the Roman oppressors, that everything's going to be hunky-dory and everyone's going to be free. And what Jesus comes to tell them is that, no, your expectations of me are not biblical expectations because there's going to be a delayed fulfillment of what I'm going to accomplish. That I've come to set you free, not from Roman oppression, but from spiritual oppression to Satan's sin and death. And so the disciples have to learn to understand God's way, which is the way of the cross, which is the way of suffering. And so I would encourage you, to pray this prayer, Lord, help me understand you. Because some of you are going through situations and circumstances right now. You don't understand what God's up to. It's painful. It's hurting. It's difficult. And you need to be reminded that God's in control. That he's big enough to withstand your faith, the pressures of your life. He's bigger than you. He's bigger than me. Don't be afraid to ask Jesus for help, brothers and sisters. Let's pray. Father God, the truth is, you're worthy of our trust. And the truth is that I'm a sinner needing saved by your grace. And what I pray, Father, is that you'd help me to see you in your grandness and your majesty. And I pray, Lord, that you would help me and help us to carve out time to be with you here today. And to spend time with you each day. I pray that we would not hurry through it. We would trust in you and we want to learn from you. As we seek to spend time with you, then I would pray that you would increase our faith in you. In Jesus' name we pray.